from Walking in Grace, this is the Straight Truth Podcast, Christian truths in an increasingly secular world. Welcome again to the Straight Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Philpott. Now, today's episode is part of our series of interviews about the sovereignty of God in evangelism. Dr. Richard Caldwell sat down with Dr. Stephen Lawson for a conversation on this topic during the Truth and Love Conference at Founders Baptist Church. Now, you can learn more about this conference at truthinlove.org. And don't forget to like this video, leave your comments below, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Now, let's listen as Drs. Caldwell and Lawson discuss the doctrines of grace. Well, it's a, it's a great joy and privilege to have uh, have our friend Dr. Stephen Lawson with us this weekend in our Truth and Love Conference. And we're, we're talking this weekend about the sovereignty of God in evangelism. And last night, uh, Steve, you talked about, you know, when, when these truths began to break in upon your mind and heart. And I just uh, wondered if you'd share with us your first exposure to what we refer to as the doctrines of grace and sort of your journey with these truths as the Lord's taught you these things. Yeah, sure. Um, it was not until I was in seminary in my latter 20s. Um, I went to a seminary where we studied every verse in the Bible. Um, and all of a sudden I was confronted with what people were talking about, the sovereignty of God and salvation. And it's so antithetical to the natural way of thinking that I immediately rejected it and argued with fellow students and even professors at time and was really um, pretty upset about these truths, the doctrines of grace. But I was forced to, in class, keep going verse by verse through every book in the Bible. Mm. And these verses began to multiply like rabbits. Mm. I mean, it started out, it was just a few isolated texts, but this is everywhere. Mm. And I I couldn't get away from it. I felt like Jonah trying to run away from these truths, but no matter where I ran, they were already there waiting on me. And so I believed in the authority of Scripture, and I certainly believe that God is smarter than me and transcendent. And so as I was confronted with these truths, I really had to come to a point of just surrendering my mind to the mind of God and my Mm -hmm. emotions to God. And whatever the Scripture teaches, I will believe it and I will embrace it, no matter how awkward it may feel to me or how difficult it may feel to me. And that's how it initially hit me. Mm. The longer I chewed on it, the sweeter it became. Um, And it was almost like being saved all over again um, as it just explodes in your mind and your heart, and it becomes the ultimate game changer because it inverts your entire worldview. Uh, You see everything now differently, and even the doctrine of providence is is attached to that, and not only the salvation of the elect, but even when they're saved and who brings the gospel to them. what has preceded this in their life to bring them to this moment in time that God was just orchestrating all of the events surrounding the salvation of even his elect. So this just uh, was revolutionary for me. And and I I haven't gotten over it, and I pray I never get over it. Um, It was so humbling. Um, it, it, it really just brought me to my knees. Mm. 
And I, in fact, I don't know that I hardly even spoke for several months because I had been running my mouth in, against these truths for, mm-hmm. for so long that now that I saw that it's there, I thought, you know, I just need to be quiet, mm-hmm. and which I was. And then how it elevated my worship of God. I thought I was doing God a wild favor <laughs> by going into the ministry <laughs> and leaving my vocation. And it's kind of like God was so fortunate to have me on His side. (laughs) And when I saw this, that God, in reality, had reached all the way to the bottom of the barrel to pick me up and passed over others to get to me, um, that was jaw-dropping. But it was also praise-elevating. And so it just revolutionized my, my, my Christian life. And it also struck me that this God has a designed purpose for my life as well. He has not chosen me for nothing. Mm. Uh, He has chosen me for His purposes and for His glory while I'm here on the earth. And it it really jerked a knot in me. Uh, It really got my attention because I think I was just kind of shuffling my way through seminary. Mm. Um, I was having a really good time. Um, at doing other things, and this suddenly brought my focus <clears throat> in a with a tunnel focus on <clears throat> on the will and the work of God, and so it sobered me, uh, it matured me, um, it grew me up overnight, um, and I needed to grow have grown up. Um, and so it had all of these effects, and then it just, it was like I was shot out of a cannon as, as it just launched me um, out of seminary. Um, and so these truths just grabbed me by the little lapel and just pulled me up in my seat and um, arrested my attention. And I, and I think there's also a, a, a sobriety that comes with it. I, I was a really funny guy before that, and just you carefree. You still are a funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks aren't everything. Um, and I was just very carefree and, and was kind of the guy that could get everybody laughing. And, and, and this was a heavy. There was a weightiness, uh, a gravitas, uh, a gravity about this that um, I think needed to grip my soul. Mm. Um, and, and so that was the effect uh, in seminary, Richard, um, on my life. I don't know that anyone hit that brick wall any harder than me um, because I, I hit it running full speed thinking, I'm going to just go through this, and it didn't budge. Those verses held their ground, and I was the one that budged. And I love the way you describe it because, as you know, one of the criticisms <clears throat> sometimes of Calvinism is that we're laying a theological grid on the Bible, that somehow um, the, the, our belief in these doctrines is the result of some sort of philosophy instead of an exegetically derived theology. And it's just the opposite, isn't it? I mean, I mean what, what arrested you was the Word of God. You couldn't get away from these doctrines as they are uh, given in the Word of God. Sure. Uh, of the five points, mm-hmm. Um, so total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints, those, those can all be stated differently. We know mm-hmm. that just for the sake of 
of what is commonly referred to the tulip. Of those five doctrines, which one did you find to be the most difficult for you to get a hold of? Well, certainly, I think for me, the extent of the atonement, mm. because I am exegetically driven, and there were some verses that had cosmos and panta um, that dealt with world mm -hmm. and dealt with all, oh. and I needed to grow in my hermeneutical abilities to interpret Scripture because I automatically saw the word world and I automatically saw the word all, the word all and assumed what you might initially think is the meaning, mm. and also the word foreknowledge. Um, but with world, when I saw in the Gospel of John that the word world is used 10 different ways, mm. you could have picked me up off the floor. Mm. And I, it was like, why, why has someone not told me this before? And so it wasn't that I knew the Bible too too well. It was that I the opposite. I didn't know the Bible well enough mm. to to wrestle through that. And then the word all, um, I, I needed to grow in my ability to interpret Scripture, and not to simply jump to immediate conclusions. Which one of those ten <laughs> meanings uh, that it was? And and so there were a few holdout verses. Um, that I had to um, contemplate, but what I need, what I also needed to understand, is is that there was more to hermeneutics than simply word studies. That there is the analogia scriptura, the analogy of scripture, that the entire Bible would speak with one voice, and I was having the tail wag the dog. I mean, there were a few isolated verses that could admittedly have gone either way. Sure. But in light of the other 1,000 verses, it becomes pretty simple. Um, and so I, I needed to have a comprehensive understanding of Scripture. And, and for me, even... Um, and it's not like philosophy is bad either. Right. Uh, and, and systematic theology... Mm. Um, I needed to see and understand the unity of the Godhead, the unity of the Trinity, mm -hmm. which took me to a higher level than just verb tenses <coughs> and etymology of words, to see how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work as one Savior. And so the position that I was holding was just an illogical position. It, it was a contradiction in terms, like a man driving a car with his foot on both the gas and the brake at the same time. It's just canceling one out the other. And so I had uh, God choosing his elect, but Jesus deciding, no, you can do what you're going <laughs> to do. I'm going to die for another group. Right. And then the Holy Spirit gonna, going to work on yet a third group that's halfway in between the elect and the world, which would be just those who hear the gospel. Yes. And, and you know, John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Well, that doesn't mean one person. That means one in mission, one in purpose, one in thrust. And it was like scales falling off mm -hmm. my eyes to see 
not only does is this exegetically substantiated, but that theologically, in a, in a systematic theology, where we do have to bring unity to the entire teaching of Scripture. Right, right. I mean, everything's got to tuck into the suitcase mm-hmm. well, and we can't have just dangling verses. And, and to pull that all together, um, I realized that those whom the Father chose before time began, He actually gave them to the Son yes, to be His inheritance mm-hmm. on the condition that the Son would come into this world live for them and die for them and be raised for them. Amen. And the the tight unity between the Father and the Son, the handoff from the Father to the Son, the Son now will, will not lose a one of these. And He will lay down His life for the sheep. And He will purchase the church with His own blood. And then the Father and the Son would send the Spirit, and the Spirit would apply the merit of Christ's death according to the intention of the Father. And so now, suddenly, uh, I, I became a better theologian, <laughs> and, and I saw the unity within the Trinity. And that's really why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. And we don't baptize just in the name of Jesus right. because God the Father is a Savior, the Son is a Savior, but also the Spirit is a Savior, and they are all pulling in the same direction in their redemptive efforts towards one and the same group, which are the elect mm-hmm. of God. The other thing I needed to think through was that everything is flowing from God the Father. Uh, I really believe that God the Father has become the forgotten member of the Trinity. Wow. And that He is the author and the architect mm-hmm. Uh, of the eternal decree, but also of the gospel and also the saving enterprise. And so everything is flowing from God the Father. Mm. The Father sent the Son. The Father sent the Spirit. And so I needed to have the Father, His intention and purpose uh, being the lens that I now see the death of Christ and the cross what was the commission that the Father gave to the Son to come into this world? Everything is to be driven by God the Father. So that, that helped come into sharper focus. And I realized that I was, I was fracturing the Godhead um, and, and almost like taking a piece of paper and just tearing it in half and the Father's doing this, but the Son's over here doing this and the Spirit's working with a, a different mission. And that and um, that that was just uh, incongruent. Mm. Um, so th- that that had an effect. But the atonement w- was the last one that I fully bought into because I was exegetical. Mm. But I just needed more information. Yeah. How is it, how these doctrines you know moving now beyond seminary? I you, I know because I know in my own life how these doctrines transformed your life personally. How these doctrines shaped your ministry. Well, uh, I preached them. I, I didn't hold anything back uh, from the very beginning. And the first two churches that I pastored were incredibly Arminian. And I was a college pastor before that in a very man-centered Arminian church. So I, I didn't step into a, a London 1689 right. church or a Westminster Confession church. And so the way it shaped me is I had to pay a great price 
to preach these truths, which only deepened my convictions. As long as you're preaching to the choir, you can say anything you want. Right. But when there is opposition and you still preach it, it's forcing you to embrace this even more. And I remember R.C. Sproul telling me once, he says, Steve, you just really believe these. I really believe these, but you're so passionate about it. And I said, Dr. Sproul, I didn't grow up under the Westminster Confession. <laughs> you know, this wasn't in the crib. I wasn't being taught what is the chief purpose of man, to glorify God and join forever. I said, I came to this as an adult, and, and there was a struggle that was involved. So I didn't just pick this up off the shelf like a piece of candy and walk on my way. I had to dig it out of the dirt, and I had to pay a price for it. All that really shaped my, my ministry, and, it, um, and what it did is there were a lot of people who left, and there were a lot of people who came. Uh, there were a lot of false converts who were exposed and who were regenerated and converted under the powerful truth of this. I, even when I preached the doctrine of reprobation, mm. um, there would be people calling me at home on Sunday afternoon saying, I, I've got to talk to you. I mean, people were just arrested um, in, in their lost condition, thinking they were saved. So it ripped the mask off of um, Judas' disciples and showed that they, were, that they were unconverted. There is such power in the doctrines of grace. Uh, Jesus preached these publicly to unbelievers. Uh, John 6 is a great example to thousands of unbelievers. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost to thousands of mm -hmm. unbelievers. He, he did, they didn't keep this for a Wednesday night small group That's exactly right. uh, study. No, they got up on Sunday morning in front of the whole congregation and, 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 and let it fly. Um, so, And I love that about your ministry, Dr. Lawson. I mean, you have paid a price for preaching these doctrines, and I feel like we all must pay a price to preach these doctrines because, as you've just said, uh, if this is the truth of God's Word, and it is, we have no other choice but to declare these things. And the point you made last night in your sermon on total depravity, uh, on more than one occasion, Paul, you know, do you not know these things? Uh, this is not some higher level Christianity. <laughs> this is not PhD stuff, as you said last night. This is for every member of the church to know. These yeah. are doctrines we're to be teaching everybody. Yeah, yeah. And most of, <laughs> so many of these verses are in chapter 1, verse 2. Mm -hmm. Chapter 1, verse 3, which presupposes that that church to whom Paul is writing or Peter is writing, uh, this was common knowledge, that I can just begin this letter mm. by putting these truths on the front doorstep. Um, I, and they're not saved until the very end of the letter, right. hidden, where lots of people won't even see them. No, it's at the very front door as you walk into these books in the Bible, which again is... is uh, clear reasoning that everyone knew this in the church. That's exactly right. Um, because they had already been so well taught mm. these truths. So yeah, it's just Christianity 101. And, and so many want to relegate this to some small group Bible study on Thursday night where we're whispering. In the name of the unity of, of the church, right? Yeah, with a good motive, but it's, it, it's, it's, it, that's, that's a superficial uh, motive, quite frankly. Exactly. 
you, 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 you need to be pleasing God, not men. Yes. And if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. And if you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. And God knows what's best for his people. So as yeah, you please God, you're loving people. Yeah, I, I don't want to be in the business of editing God or censoring God Amen. or withholding God or, as Luther said, putting a leaf in front of my mouth when I preach mm. to just tone down what I have to say. Uh, th- these truths are intended to be preached with power and authority and heralded and declared yeah. um, and, and certainly never apologized for. So, um, yeah, it's good for us to talk about these things. So for someone who, who doesn't have a lot of exposure to these doctrines, maybe they're in a church where the subject is avoided, how would you advise them to get started? Do you... Um, some books to read, be, you know, obviously the Word of God, but beyond that, maybe some things they could read that would introduce them. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound like an infomercial. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> On this, I've written a book called Foundations of Grace, mm. where I go through every verse in the Bible on the sovereignty of God in salvation. Now, that sounds like an over the top statement that there may be a few verses that I just couldn't, you know, that, that are, those phrases and words were already covered in other verses. But I start in Genesis 1, and I end up in Revelation. Mm. And I just march through the Bible one book at a time, one author at a time, and put all of these diamonds out on the table. And what you see is this is so biblical that it required 600 pages to to describe it. And when they did the Scripture index in the back, they had to go to a triple column or it would have been a volume unto itself just for my scripture index. There were so many verses uh, that were addressed. So um, at the risk of sounding self-promoting, which I I don't want to be, honestly, the Bible is its own best defense. Amen. And uh, it's like Luther said, the Bible's like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Mm -hmm. Just let it out of the cage. This book lets it out of the cage in that it addresses every verse in the Bible. And you see, it's, it, it's not just John and Romans. It's Genesis through Revelation. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's in every nook and corner of the Scripture. So uh, that, that would be what I would say. Now you mentioned earlier that as you chewed on these doctrines, they became more sweet to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my experience, preaching these things over the years, it's not uncommon to have someone who's newly exposed to these things talk about sort of a season of darkness almost where it, it frightens them, um, raises some doubts in their mind, heart about all sorts of things. You know, my loved ones now who don't know Christ, what does this mean for them, etc. How would you walk someone through sort of the experience that they might find as they begin to to uh, be exposed to these things? Yeah, I mean, people, I'm always asked, especially by a mother, well, then we don't want to have any more children. Mm. Um, Or what about our children? And I just assure them, first of all, God's more loving than you'll ever be. God is wiser than you'll ever be. If you only knew as much as God knows, and if you were only as wise as God is wise, you you, you would be smart enough to make the very same decisions that He makes. Mm. So you, you don't want to be in charge of this. You want God to be in charge of this. And so it, it requires an element of trust that, that God knows exactly what he's doing and that God will make the right decisions. So you, you need to have a family. You need to have children. 
You need to witness to them. You need to pray for them, and you need to trust God. But in the end, God will do exactly what will bring Him greatest glory. Amen. And will be for the greatest good for the church. Mm. So it, it, it boils down to an element of faith in God. Um, and to have any other position is really an element of unbelief. Dr. Lawson, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's, it's always uh, wonderful to hear you preach, but it's especially wonderful to hear you on this topic. Uh, you're so clear and passionate. I thank God for you. Thank God for your ministry. Well, thank you. These truths are very clear. So Amen. when we teach them, if we teach them well, they will be very clear. Amen. I've often said they're not hard to understand. They're just hard to swallow. Thanks again for joining us for the Straight Truth Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Now you can find links to all of our social media channels by going to our website, straighttruth.net. Now do us a favor, please go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to these episodes there. We release new episodes every Thursday. Also, go to the iTunes podcast section and leave us a review. Now Straight Truth is a production of Walking in Grace Ministries. For more information, go to walkingingrace.org.